Yesterday, I was driving south on I-95 coming into Stamford, and I noticed that the big flag at the RBS Bank was at half-staff. I thought, maybe I missed something in the news in the morning. I was curious. I couldn't wait to get off the highway, and I pulled aside, and I took my phone out and could not find a reason for it. There's some suggestion about something that happened in Russia, but went to the official site. There's an official site where the half-mass declaration comes out, and the date for the last one was March 2nd for the internment of Billy Graham. It's interesting, it reminded me of Billy's most frequent tweet. He didn't actually tweet it, but it came out after his death. Because on this website, it said, Presidential Proclamation on the Death of Billy Graham. And this is what Billy Graham said and was tweeted every 15 seconds after his death for a long period of time. He said, Someday you will read or hear of Billy Graham's death. Don't believe a word of it. I shall be more alive then than I am now. I will have just changed addresses. I will be in the presence of the Lord. I shall be more alive then than I am now. How do you have such boldness in the face of death? Whether it be physical death or the things that are calamity in our lives, it's by being people who have done the hard work of driving into the historical truth of resurrection. I could spend four or five hours, but your food would go south, giving the historical reasons why it's the most validated event in history, certainly ancient history. But there's something that happens when we look at the text, that it moves from simply an intellectual pursuit of the knowledge that the eyes of our heart are opened. And I believe God wants all of our eyes of our heart open because He wants us to give up the things that are dead and receive the things that are alive. And there's a lot of deadness around us in our world. As I was thinking about this passage, there's one phrase that really captured me, the stone being rolled away. We're going to discover as we press into this passage that the stone did not need to be rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone needed to be rolled away to let us in. And we're going to see in the interaction of Peter and John with that stone, which is a type of door into the tomb of Jesus, that Christ is crucified and he's risen. And if we will allow it, it will change everything about our lives. This is such important spiritual truth. I'm just going to stop and pray and invite the Holy Spirit to do that work. Holy Spirit, Wherever there is a veil right now, we would ask that you would favor us and that you would come and you would turn seeing into beholding. And that because we have announced Christ crucified and Christ risen, we would all go out of here with new life today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. To the historical facts, verse 1. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. Now, if you are just picking up the story, it's early in your faith journey. Mary of Magdalene was one of Jesus' closest followers. She had been a person who had been inflicted with a bondage. She had seven demons cast out of her by Jesus, 
and she had been welcomed back into the uh, community. As a woman, she moved from marginalized and completely outside of any power structure to the inner circle of what was happening in Jesus. It's quite a, a movement in her life. Uh, by the way, if you were going to an invent of faith in ancient times, you wouldn't start as a first responder being a woman. If this were made up, the story would be discredited right here really points to the fact that we have historical accounts that have been given down to us. And Mary had been close to Jesus. Not only had she experienced the transforming power which changed her life, she had watched him unleashing the things of the kingdom. She was with that community that was believing that he was going to run the Romans out and everything was going to be made new. But she was also there when Jesus was crucified. When Jesus goes to the cross, the men scatter. Now, there are probably some social reasons for that. The men would have been perceived as dangerous to the Roman soldiers, where the women could stay closer. But John is there. Mary watched while Jesus breathed his last and watched while the soldiers put the spear into his side and the blood and the water came out. We're told in the Scripture accounts that Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, who had been part of the council, had begun, we believe, to start to believe that Jesus was bringing the kingdom. They go to Pilate and they ask, can they take his body off the cross and bury it in Joseph's tomb? And the scripture says that Mary was one of two women who went to see the site of the tomb. I want you to get this right now. We've come here to celebrate today. Sunday morning, she was not celebrating she was on the way to anoint Jesus' dead body. She was there when that body came off of the uh, cross. She was there when they watched him go into the tomb. She saw the cold, prepared body. There was no illusion in her mind. You've heard me say this before. If there was any idea of resurrection, she would have been bringing breakfast, not ointment, to anoint him. She would have fed him. But she comes in these moments, and we're going to see that the tomb, which would have been like a crypt, we're going to see that Peter and John go in and out of it. The stone is like a door that has been rolled away. That door, which was to be a door unto death, was going to become a door unto the starting moments of belief for these disciples. Get it this morning. This is a glorious day for us. At the beginning of dawn, it wasn't too glorious for the disciples terrible disappointment for them. They are at the last place you would expect, as N.T. Wright says in his book, surprised by hope. So she goes and gets Peter and John, and they come running to the tomb. Verse 3, so Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first, and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths that were lying there, but he did not go in. This is John telling the story. He outruns Peter, probably a little younger than Peter. He lives a lot longer than Peter. He gets there first, and it's the first of three times he talks about seeing. It's one English word, but he uses three different Greek words because I think he's trying to give us a message about what was happening in their own hearts. These words seeing can be used both metaphorically and literally, but there is an intensity in how they're used. This time he comes and he looks through the door and he sees the linen cloth that's there. This word is to simply look. 
Uh, it's the word that's used when Jesus heals a blind man by the side of the road. He prays for him, and his eyes are open, and he sees. It's you and I looking and seeing that the wall is white. It's looking around and seeing that there's people around us. It's just the simple act of seeing. That is John's first response. But John stays on the outside. Verse 5. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Peter, the impetuous one, doesn't stay on the outside. He's just running right inside that tomb. And now we have a word for seeing that goes beyond just the visible seeing. It's to perceive or observe, to, tart, to bring the details together of what's happening. And he notices something. It's not just the linen cloth, but his head cloth has been folded and laid to the side. So what's that all about? In the ancient world, when you were an artisan, you did not want people seeing your work until it was completed. Those of you who are painters, those of you who are in other forms of art know what that's like. If someone looks at your art in the middle, it's going to be disappointing. Any of you who have ever done a remodeling of your house, you don't want to see it in the middle. You'll cry because everything is coming apart. But in ancient time, the worker would have this cloth that he would use on his forehead to wipe away the sweat. The sign that it was okay to come in and look at his artwork is he would take his cloth and fold it up and put it outside the door of the artisana. And that was the invitation to come in. You see, Jesus had left a clue for his disciples. It's interesting that the cloth is there. If his body had been stolen, that would have gone with him. But Jesus not only leaves the cloths that he had been put in in his burial, but he takes his head cloth and he folds it specially to say metaphorically what he's already said on the cross, it is finished. He now says in symbol, it is finished. The artwork has been done. Now John has more courage because Peter's in, in verse 8 says, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. This is to behold this is a different level of seeing. This is when the eyes of our hearts hear a message that we've heard over and over again, and all of a sudden, what was just fact before becomes belief, and John's whole perspective changes. Now, he's going to need appearances of Jesus coming because an empty tomb is not going to be enough in the same way that appearances wouldn't be enough. If Jesus just showed up to them, they would have second-guessed a lot of things as being hallucination. But Jesus keeps coming to them over to show them he's opening their hearts because he's going to call them to be the first witnesses to what? Crucifixion and resurrection. It was going to cost them their lives. Ten of the first eleven would be told, give up this folly that you're believing in and you can keep your life or... You too can die, and they all died terrible deaths, declaring that this isn't a lie. We have experienced the res resurrected Christ. You see, Jesus did not roll the stone away, or the Father did not roll the stone away so that Jesus could get out. He could have gone out very easily in his resurrection body. The stone is rolled away so that you and I can get in and have the eyes of our hearts opened. This is our message Christ crucified and Christ risen. It is the central message of the Scriptures. And I want to remind you that it is a scandalous message. It changes everything, but you don't get there easily. If you don't think our message is ridiculous, you haven't thought about it. 
The ancients didn't have a system that you would become king and be victorious by dying on a cross. That's why they arrive at the tomb with complete hope gone. They arrive there believing that something had severely gone wrong. As in any disappointment or any disaster in our life, we look at it and we say, how can this be God's plan and pattern? They're saying the very same things. They weren't expecting it. There was no back plan. Think about it for a moment, the singularity of the importance of the crucifixion. We refer to it as the crucifixion. Have you ever thought about that? You know, I grew up with this faith, and I realized there are a lot of things that I've never really thought about. Why do we call it the crucifixion? There have been other people who have died martyrs, who people were young, and it seemed tragic. We don't refer to the assassination. We don't refer to the trigger pull. We don't refer to the martyrdom, but we refer to the crucifixion. Because there's something singular happening in Jesus' death where he's making everything new so that we would experience the fullness of resurrection. Literally thousands of people died, but Jesus is the only one whose name we remembered having died on a cross. Thousands were crucified by the Romans. But Jesus is singular. Think about what Paul says. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation. Have you ever thought about how ridiculous that is? Have you ever been ashamed of good news? I'm not ashamed of the good news. Why? Because crucifixion is linked to resurrection. If we don't have resurrection, Jesus is just a martyr. If we don't have crucifixion, this morning's just a rah-rah service. And we're making ourselves feel better about the inevitability of death in our lives. Jesus comes. He's not a victim to death. He does not escape death, but he conquers it. Resurrection Sunday, Easter, does not erase death, does not cancel it, but takes all the sting out of it. Christ crucified, Christ risen. That is our message. Holy Spirit, will you just pull the blinds up? This is my 12th resurrection preaching at Stanwich, and my last. Bless the Lord. And I mean that with all my heart, to be able to preach the resurrection 12 times. Every year that I preach it, I know the message lands in different ways in people's lives. We all have different types of death that happen to us, death of a dream, death of a relationship, death of a portfolio, death of a vocational opportunity. But it's most precious when we've experienced death of a close family member. Every time I come to this Sunday and I look out and I see those of you who have lost family members, my heart just hangs on to resurrection so much more. This morning at the early sunrise service, Michael Neinheis was here and I knew the minute I would look at him, I would start crying because he lost his son over 10 years ago in a tragic accident. Resurrection means so much more to me because I've known Michael and know how powerful it is. 
I've been reconnected with a friend from college recently. We played basketball together. We were both missionaries in Africa with our family. But I've been reconnected to some of the sorrow of his story. Just over five years ago, his son had graduated from Wheaton College and was trying to find himself and so went out on the road for a year. Great thing happened. His heart went from seeing to perceiving to beholding. And he came back a changed man. His parents were thrilled to have him back in that state and they were so excited. His future was all ahead of him. He was going to be married in a week and he was out jogging on a track and dropped dead as a 22-year-old man as a, with a heart attack. Joel said the gospel message got closer than it ever had in his lifetime. He had to fight for belief. Little unimportant conversations lost their taste in his life. He struggled, but he hangs on to resurrection like he's never held on to it in the past. He sent me this message this past week as we were discussing some ministry opportunities that are coming up, and this is what he wrote. We are coming off a tough week. A young guy who was in Nadia, his daughter's class at Dakar Academy, was heading home from spring break and had an accident just east of Cleveland. He survived a couple days, and then his heart gave out last Wednesday. That evening, my brother Steve's wife died after a 10-month battle with cancer, so just returned from Kansas this morning after the funeral. Now listen to this line. The family is growing on the other side. The family is growing on the other side. Every year, the celebration of resurrection becomes more precious. He is risen. What's dead in your life? What has died in your life and you've lost? Let the crucified Christ in and he will turn death into life. That is his business. The Apostle Peter, who was transformed by this message, opens his letter to the church with these words, Bless the name of the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has birthed us into a living hope through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He is risen. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Don't just see it. Don't just perceive it. Behold it. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen.